All right. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, November 8, 2013. This week, episode 305 comes to you from Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and here with me in the studio is our guest and our engineer, We've got uh, Jessica Lawson at the at the controls. We're, we're all shook up. We're we're kind of looking at things. Now. Talk shoes giving us fits today, but we'll make this work. And uh, we're gonna have the Z man. Hopefully, I, we got the Z man on there right now. Let's see if we got the Z man on guest nine. How are you? All right, Cliff. Did you have trouble dialing? Good morning, Joe. All right, great to have you here. And of course, we'll have our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, in a little bit later on. Today shows with. Our other guest here in the studio, Danny Special Forces Hunt. He's in the studio with me here. We're going to talk a little bit about indoor environmental contracting projects. And then we're going to have a halftime report with our man in the field report. We've got Mike Whitman of ESI down in Maryland. And, of course, we'll finish with our roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanclenfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. You can also stream our past shows right from that homepage uh, website. It's going to be iaqradio.com, or you can click the link that says go to the show at the top and then use the download button to download shows to your favorite MP3 player. And, of course, you can get your shows from iTunes. We also have continuing education credits available. Just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And last but not least, please visit that IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's get it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. I'm sorry to report there was no correct answer to last week's trivia question. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, November 8, 2013, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their website, which is www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the founder and first commanding officer of Delta Force. 
Back to you, Joe. Ah, good one, good one. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're still having some trouble with uh, talk shoe there, Cliff. That's why those dates aren't changing. We keep getting booted off, but it seems like the show's running anyway, so okay, we'll no keep problem. going. Anyway, today's guest is, we're going to call him Danny Special Forces Hunt. I love this. All right, Danny. Uh, Danny's a guy that calls from comes from what he calls in the hole. Uh, he likes to call it that, and um, he no, nobody relates better than him to our frontline workers. Danny's been teaching with me and IAQ Training Institute, and before that, Professional Training Associates, and before that, Vols Environmental, and the uh, what was that old IESO, the indoor not IESO. Um, I, what was uh, Ginsburg's place called? Uh, ATS. A ATS. I don't know. We've had we've been teaching all too many places but anyway we go back to 1987 uh, actually we met before that we finished up school together in 1987 at the university of pittsburgh and uh, we were both supposed to be teachers danny had been doing indoor air quality work for years prior to that he had done remediation one of the first biggest remediation companies in the country but at the time we met, he was doing consulting for a company called Vols Environmental, which is still in business, I believe, aren't they? Very much so. Yeah. And um, he and I started doing summer work uh, together, overseeing asbestos abatement projects. And here we are 25 years later, still together, hanging out, running around the country, teaching people uh, when he's not farming up on the uh, mountain in Donegal. airborne tattoo, and he ties it on one time a year. And remembers the fall. As he orders a tall one, swallows it down with his tears. On the 8th of November, the angels were crying as they carried his brothers away. With the fire raining down and the hell all around, there were few men left standing that day. Saw the eagle fly through a clear blue sky. How's that farm holding up, buddy? Ah, uh, the incident the other day. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He's got a broken nose here in the studio. Those tractors hit back. <laughs> Especially when they hit a groundhog hole. <laughs> All right. But anyway, I, I used special forces, Danny, because I, you have a military-like way of running um, contracting projects. Even when we're doing our training uh, and you're doing the hands-on. It's all very military in, in focus. Uh, your demeanor, uh, the way you handle things. What, what caused you to continue using? I know you're military from way back, back in uh, Vietnam days. But um, how do you think that experience affected your way of running and supervising indoor environmental contracting projects? Well, I, I think first you have to understand that uh, military training just stays with you forever. I mean, I don't know how you shake it, uh, but when you get out on a job, there's so many similarities. Uh, you know, you have to understand your objective. You have to formulate a series of tasks. You have to delegate responsibilities to individuals and hold them accountable. Uh, the old saying, the, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link, that always applies. Uh, you know, in different projects, uh, you have different personnel but the objective still remains the same. Chain of command is very important. Um, you know, and when someone's given a general order or, you know, given a directive that this must be done, uh, it must be done. Must be done. And, and you have, um, 
a unique teaching style too. Um, you can be a little loud and, and forceful, and, and I and the same on the job site. Um, I assume that's a style that works well for you, and maybe others are quieter. I don't know if you want to comment on that or, or why that. Now, there's different styles for different people, but I know uh, the part about being loud in a classroom or even loud on the job, that's a direct from University of Pittsburgh and some of our teaching methodologies that get involved. Uh, you know, the biggest thing when teaching is trying to keep people awake. You know, so the best way to keep them awake is be loud, be active, move around, be interactive. You don't want it to become an intrinsic type learning, get everybody involved. We learn from each other. I mean, the process of education is learning. And just standing there and saying A, B, C, D, not a lot of people learn from that. Uh, especially those of us that are, on, like I say, on the front line. You know, uh, they have to become part of it. And you have to feel like you're contributing. There, there are so many things that goes into it, but it just gets everybody on the same page. And I think that carries over to the projects, too, because 90% of the things in the field are solved by the workers. Yes, we're given a, a responsibility. Yes, we're given an objective. How do we obtain that objective? I mean, there's... A uh, hundred ways you can do things, and you know each project specific unto its own. Therefore, having your workers be part of the process, I just think becomes very, very important. I'm glad you bring that up because that I, I leads into what I wanted to talk about anyway. Um, you don't just—I mean, let's let's be honest—you yell at people, all right, in the field. I've seen it, all right. I've when seen they need you, it. I've seen you put a contractor in tears. Uh, you know, actually a supervisor, not a contractor, not too long ago, actually. But your your point is when they need it, yes. Uh, but you're also the kindest, nicest, um, most uh, open and, and welcoming guy in the world too. So I don't think that yelling at someone would work if you didn't also do the other side of the equation. Would you agree? I, I, yeah, I would agree with that. Oh. I would agree with that. When it comes to yelling, though, I, I, it, I mean, that's usually when you're at the end of the rope. I mean, you have either okay. explained things once, you've drawn it up, you've diagrammed it, you've uh, explained to people this is what you need to do here's going to be the outcome if you do it which is going to be a pleasant experience but if you don't do it you also are going to have an outcome that you're if you do something wrong you have to become accountable it's like your last resort almost before i think you would if you have to you're to the point in my experience watching you if you're to the point where you have to yell at someone the next step is that they're going to be looking for new employment uh, there's a good possibility I'll free up our future real quick. <laughs> Cliff, any questions you want to follow up on? Yeah, I, I do, Danny. Um, you know, thanks for joining us today. I, I think that this is great for, for listeners because I'm sure they've all had many of the challenges and few have had the, uh, you know, the experience, uh, that, that you've had. Uh, you know, in the military, in order to carry it over, because you know, in the military, your your life depends on it. And I think some of the work we do, our life can depend on it, because you know, sometimes we're cleaning up some things that are unhealthy, and uh, you know, if people aren't careful and don't wear the proper personal protection.
protective uh, equipment and don't do the containments right. You know, someone could get sick or or worse. But um, I think the biggest frustration that you might find on a project is dealing with temporary employees. Uh, I'm looking for some guidance in, in, in dealing with temps. Uh, you know, on a lot of projects, uh, you end up with temporary workers. Uh, one of the things that I um, I do when I deal with temps, and this is bottom line, I give them a lot of respect, a lot of respect. And by meaning that is the, my demeanor is genuine, genuine by nature, but, um, you know, you just extend – uh, a lot of respect. Now, when you do that, you also demand a lot back. And I think when you reach equilibrium dealing with the temps uh, in that situation, I, I think it works best. Uh, you know, to go in and have temporary workers and, uh, you know, just running amok with the project, uh, that uh, that'll cause problems, I, I believe. I mean, I've had a lot of success with temporary workers. I mean, I've worked with many, many different groups of people, a lot of times not necessarily understanding language, but body demeanor, uh, your actions. And what I mean by actions, too, is, uh, you know, is somebody's uh, carrying something extremely heavy, uh, go over and give them a hand. You know, get involved. Uh, don't uh, just assign them the dirty task, you know, go do the dirty task, you know, and when you uh, actually do that, uh, climb into the crawl space, start dragging some of them pipes out. I mean, there's always a peak on a project that is uh, certainly harder than other aspects of the project. And the hard aspects, I say get involved. And, uh, you know, give them the respect, but at the same time, they learn that uh, you demand a lot back, too. And uh, that's kind of the advice I would give with temps. You will that's kind of lead from the front. Uh, somewhat, somewhat. I, you know, I, I, yeah, it, it would be leading from the front. I, I just feel it's uh, get in there and just be part of the solution. You know, get after it. You know, and I, I have to say that I strive to be better at something Danny's natural at, and I don't know that I'll ever be as good, but he he does have genuine respect for these people. And, and not only general, general, genuine respect, but a genuine interest in them as a person and in their lives and their struggles. And I see that pay off time after time after time with the people he's working with in, in these in these um, very difficult and sometimes dangerous situations. You know, that's I think that's one of the secrets to your success uh, more than anything else, at least in my opinion. I don't think I ever told you that before, but I, I, I think that's important. And I try to do that, too, Cliff. It's like, you know, what would Danny do here with this? temp guy that he's struggling with a little bit well maybe there's something you need to get to know about that guy that would that would help you understand a little bit about his background that would help you be able to better motivate him i don't know and you know just into uh i know we're talking about temps but that works with all groups yep. i mean whether it's a union group whether it's a, a, a company group that's been there 15 16 years they do it day in and day out and you know they have uh, hundreds of different supervisors or project managers or uh, tons of expectations placed on them. I, I just feel you, you get in there and you give them the respect that they deserve for doing the work. And 
while they're doing the work and getting the work done and uh, you you give it to them uh, and at the same time uh, good directions you know don't be afraid to uh, you know spell things out very clearly i mean a lot of times people explain things ex- especially joe and Dieter. Uh, sometimes they explain things and I'm like, what the heck did they just say? <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? I'm just not to that level. And, you know, you, you have to think your way through it, but they give me the latitude and some of the respect that allow me to digest the information. And then eventually, uh, I come around and I don't know. I think I, I treat groups the, the way I want to be treated too. Yep. yep. And, and you break it down into smaller pieces for people, too. I've seen that. You know, okay, you don't quite understand the total goal here. Let's look at getting from here, you know, point A to point B, and then we'll worry about C, D, E, F, and G. You know? Well, you have to take the uh, short steps to, you know, cover the distance. Let me get another question here before uh, I, I give Cliff a, another shot at a uh, follow-up. What is a push and how do you get people motivated to make it through a push? I know that's your term, but I, I, I and I think most people will understand what we're talking about in a second. But maybe you could explain that for for us. Yep. I, I, okay. You take every project. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I hate to use the word every, but uh, most projects there is always a peak involved. Uh, whether, um, you know, you take an asbestos project, uh, there's a point where you pray to God that no inspectors come around. Uh, you got everything done. You got everything scattered around. You, uh, not, nothing's in the bags. You're not into the final cleaning. Uh, it's just, and you've been doing this for several days. Now you're tired, you're worn out, uh, you know, and it, it's just the peak. And the same thing can be said on a lot of these, uh, building projects that we have have now i mean you tear the drywall out you have this all over the place uh it's just where you you have to create a big mess in order to clean the mess up is kind of what i'm saying and there's a peak in there and the peak is when everybody's tired everybody's fed up everybody's a little bit short-tempered uh you know it's just the time when uh you know that your back's against the wall and that's also the time when I probably ride hardest. That's probably the time when I take a little bit more seriousness to everything around me. My demeanor changes. I just, uh, right at that point, I'm taking left foot in front of the right foot and don't get in the way and don't let anybody get in your way and, you know, move forward. And it's a push. And I think every job has that. And it, you have to recognize that it's coming. You have to prepare for it and i and you gotta be there you gotta be there if oh, you're the without owner, a doubt. you gotta be there you gotta have you gotta. one of your key people be there i see this all the time it drives me crazy out there these guys they have now they're they're growing they're getting bigger they've got 10 trucks instead of the two they had before and there's nobody on that job site that has the 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 buy-in that's necessary to get through that period, you know, and that's when the owner's got to be there or one of his key people that also has some stake in things. You have to have somebody that uh, has the ability to get what they need on the spot. You have to have somebody that, uh, you know, has the decision making capabilities 
And, you know, I, I, I agree with you 100 percent on there. Uh, you know, that that's a time you have to recognize and you got to be ready. You got to rock it. You got to rock it. Now, there's ways. Uh, I mean, you know, different people motivate people different ways. Uh, time and a half usually motivates most people. <laughs> uh, you know, then again, if it's, uh, you know, just a, a hard job that you got to get through, you uh, you know the people that you work with day in and day out you know you just learn what the, what they need and let's get through this and you know maybe maybe you get a little bit of time here or and or you go out for a dinner or you go out for yeah. lunch or you bring in a lunch or, or right. you you go to the store and buy some extra refreshments of some kind they're not used to getting you know just little well, things well you know even leading up to a push i must say this and i i mean even uh, now i'm farming and i have horses my dad always said to me when we were young and we had uh, uh we plowed the fields with the horses is he said you take care of the horses and the horse is going to plow a lot of field for you today yep you know yep. you don't water them you don't feed them you don't give them rest you don't uh take care of them brush them you know not brush them the wrong way brush them the right way yep. you know and you, you take care of them. You take care of those horses, and you get a lot of fields plowed. And I find out with a push, you know, prior to it, you know, it, maybe it's a softening of this or, hey, you know what's coming up, you know, at 3 o'clock, we're after it, yeah. you know. And that's another thing, preparing them in advance. Very for, much so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, this look, we know we've got this point coming up here, and we've got to work together to get through this point. And I can't afford to have any of you guys all of a sudden not show up or, you know, be on a hangover or whatever the case may be. You've got to be here. You've got to work hard. And, and if you don't, you're letting down the other guys, you know, and that. Well, you know, you say that. I, I, I want to say this. I, I uh, This just happened. I, and it happened on a project I was working with you uh, down at the college. Yep. And we had temporary workers and they were from all over the United States. And uh, they didn't necessarily uh, speak very good English, but we were coming up on a push, and we worked for two weeks every day. We were banging and banging. Now we're getting ready to go into a push, and we had a couple-day law. Well, here they were going to stay in their hotel rooms, and, you know, they— they didn't want to stay in their hotel rooms. You know, that's when trouble, you know, <laughs> sneaks up on people when you're out of town. Oh, there was another motive for having them. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. I mean, well, hey, you know, when you're when you're the manager, you got to think of what can happen A, B, and C. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, they're called indirects. You try and eliminate them as much as possible. No indirects affecting well, this project. I even say in class, an indirect in West Virginia, we call them screw factors. And you try and back them off as much as possible. But anyways. Uh, this group of people had two days that they were just going to be in their hotel room. Uh, and I invited them back to my farm. And actually, it turned out to be a wonderful 48 hours. I mean, they did absolutely no work. Gave them fishing poles for the pond. Uh, gave them a hayride on the sunset. Uh, also got quite a few cases of... Uh, beer and, you know which but was consumed were, in one afternoon but they but, were there with you you know they weren't and by the way pacifica is a pretty good beer i, <laughs> I learned that you know, but. i'm sure Dieter will have a comment on that but uh hey let's why don't we do that we're uh, we're up on we're almost up on halftime but we started five minutes late i'd like to bring in Dieter just for a minute here because i'm sure he's got a comment for this Dieter. 
Yes, I'm here. Dr. Dietrich Wow. I just wanted to check and see if you had any follow-ups or comments you wanted to bring up right now. Uh, 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 well, yes. Um, and I think you said it beautifully. Um, and I couldn't have said it any better. You said, you know, Danny or, or some people, they have certain talents that other people don't have. And uh, uh, Danny just has that ability. He has the feeling for the situations. And if the ch situation changes, he changes, but he goes with uh, the situation. I think that is a talent. I don't think that can be taught. I think you are born with it, that you have a feel for it, you see it, you jump in on it. And, and take care of it. I know people, uh, and in fact, I know three people, they can buy a book and learn a language in three months by just reading it and listening a little bit to it. I don't know how they do it. It's unbelievable. It's a talent. I was always good at the science stuff. I looked at it and I said, hey, that's easy. And people looked at me and said, this guy is nuts. He is a genius. Well, how the heck does he know all of that? Well, I looked at it. Um, on the other hand, the other thing is that Danny said, you know, there are things that you have to learn from the bottom up. And I went through that. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure Danny knows it and you know it. I'm from Germany, a class A machinist. I was three and a half years an apprentice. I think we made about $30, the equivalent of $30 a month. It was just enough gas for my motorcycle. Three and a half years. And I tell you one thing, that was something that helped me through my whole life when I went through engineering. And I said, yeah, I know that. I have seen that. I know how that is done. And I understand how people have to look at drawings and make things. Well, I made those things. Later on, I made the drawings. And I saw when people, just exactly what Denny said, they had problems. And I said, look, this is the way to do it. And I said, how do you know that? Well, I said, I learned that one 10 years ago. And now I'm applying it. So uh, what am I saying? <laughs> it's a good education. Uh, that's a good base. Uh, a good idea. I think so. I don't think you can only learn uh, from a computer or from the, some people call them iPhones. Some people call them smartphones. I call them dumb phones. <laughs> and uh, you look at that and I said, here's the answer. And you don't know how the heck you got the answer, what was involved. And I think this is exactly what Danny said. I know every part of the job. I know where it is difficult. I know where it is a bitch. And I know when to say yes. I know when to say no. And I know how to reward something and say, hey, guys, this is it. We did a great job. Let's have a beer and forget about it. Yep. Yeah. I, I knew I would be coming back to the beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dieter, we, we've got to go to halftime, but I appreciate your thoughts on that. And I also, you brought up something that made me think of uh, something I've been wanting to add here, and that was that um, owners and supervisors of, of, of people out in the field, they've, they've got to 
take some of the same training, do some of the same things, try and build some of the things you're asking other people to build, and, and that way you recognize and realize how difficult it can be. And work in the heat for four hours straight with a respirator on. Right, right. Then you know what these guys are doing for you. And then try and follow the health and safety requirements yep. that you're putting on them. Yep. You know? And that's when people, the other thing, Danny was talking about a push. That's when it's dangerous. That's when people yep. are tired. That's when they're trying to get through things. That's when somebody's got to be there to make sure they're not doing stupid things while they're pushing. Correct. And that's also when that individual needs somebody to work with them also. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I, I mean, during a push, you are tired. Uh, uh, everybody is. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it is kind of what Dieter says. I mean, I, I was very, very lucky, I guess, uh, you know, coming through life. I, I mean, worked in the worked on a farm, worked in the mill, uh, military. Uh, when the mill closed, I was a laborer. I started off with nuclear. I ended up gravitating into asbestos, and but I was a laborer first, right. supervisor second. Then the college degree occurred. Then, you know, the lab thing. Uh, you know, it, it was a series of things. But uh, Dieter said something. I mean, you know, you you learn something, and you learn from something, and you carry that forward. You know, and every job you have to, you kind of have to approach it that way. You you uh, zero in and, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of times whenever I start a project, I try and assess the personnel and their capabilities and their, uh, not only their capabilities, but their faults too. And, you know, you uh, try and make a strong pack from that. You anticipate where the problems are going to come. Anyway, we've got to stop and uh, thank our sponsors for halftime here. We've got a, a man on the street, uh, a man in the hole report at halftime, too. Uh, hopefully hopefully we still got Mike on the line. Yeah, I think we do. Uh, we've had some major problems here with, I don't know, I think it might be our computer, Jess. Uh, let's talk about that when we come back. We're going to be back in 90 seconds. Let's stop and thank our sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, let's get to our uh, man in the field report. Let's see if we got Mike Whitman on us. Mike's with ESI down in Maryland, and uh, he's been in the field there for Quite a few years, starting out in the fire, water, odor area, and doing some asbestos and lead sampling nowadays, and also overseeing mold and uh, disaster restoration projects. Let's see if we got Mike. Hello, Mike. Reporting live from Maryland. Hey, thanks for having me on, Joe. <laughs> live from Maryland. Mike, we talked about a project, and I, I just wanted you to 
uh, review for us with the listeners. Uh, Cliff years ago developed something he called the Pittsburgh Protocol. And we've been promoting that on and off here. And then we saw people up, uh, you know, people were using it in Katrina, after Katrina. And then they were using a similar protocol. They kind of changed around a little bit up in Sandy. And I'm just wondering, um, you had called, you asked us about using it on, I guess it was a crawl space project. I'm wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit about what you did there and how it worked. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and this, uh, not, not to change the direction of the show, but uh, leading into Monday being Veterans Day, Danny, thank you for your service right. um, to our country. That, that kind of got me in trouble in the military was uh, I'd follow orders until I couldn't understand why I was following him anymore. And, uh, you know, putting dehumidification in, in dirt crawl spaces and, and some of these things we were told to do in the F5, uh, 500 and 520 just weren't making sense to me. So I'm trying to come up with an idea of how to properly remove the mold. I know we have that challenge of, I just want to kill it. Uh, and, and we all understand that just killing the mold doesn't really get rid of the issue. It either becomes a food source for others or still has its allergenic properties. So um, I, I was trying to find a solution because this is a confined species we're looking at. You can't really use any media blasting as it'll displace the oxygen. HEPA vacuuming only works for certain species. Um, you know, some mold species have biofilms over them. You try and HEPA vacuum with a brush attachment, you just end up smearing it further in and further across the substrate. So coming across, I think it was about a year ago, I had listened to one of your uh, radio shows about this Pittsburgh protocol, and I thought, wow, this has got to be the answer to cleaning out these crawl spaces. I mean, the majority of the buildings here in Maryland, because the water table's so low, has a crawl space, um, which are dirt floors unless they've got some kind of expensive uh, waterproofing system in them. So cleaning the mold from that, you know, really, this really worked well. I was amazed at the results uh, after having a a normal, um, I'm going to say a ServPro, conduct these uh this protocol and the results were incredible so you were overseeing the project but you were writing the protocol for how to do this remediation well i wrote the scope of work and when you say oversee i you know i would step in in certain areas and just kind of and view it i wasn't the supervisor on that there was a you know the servpro had its own supervisor but uh, I would clear the job once it was uh, completed and gave them, you know, uh, a scope of work to follow and specific requirements to achieve uh, a clearance on this job. Let me get the Z-man in here, the, uh, the the creator. Cliff, do you have any questions or comments? Well, I, I, I guess it's been a secret, but I'll let it out now that All right. SurfPro actually was the inspiration. For uh, the protocol. Yeah. Oh, okay. that's right. That was the old church job. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. They they actually were the inspiration. So oh, uh, yeah, it was kind of fixing a fixing a fumble. No, on this and, particular uh, project, Mike, you had a different kind of. It wasn't um, 
you had floor joists, I guess, but I'm not, I don't recall exactly, but they were a little different, uh, a newer type of floor joist. What, what type were you dealing with? Well, I did this, I did this protocol once before in a basement and, um, and it worked out real well. The challenge with this crawl space was that it was engineered uh, floor beams. Okay. So the the floor joists were engineered wood. So I was a little skeptical in using this protocol on that, um, and, and what effect would it have to that? Uh, and then listening to that, uh, the last episode where Cliff says it really doesn't saturate the uh, the substrate very well, uh, very uh, much. It doesn't absorb it. The, the gravity takes it, and I noticed that when I went in to do moisture mapping um, using you know moisture meter and thermal imaging, I didn't find much of a temperature differential, and I didn't see any elevated moisture in the uh, in the engineered wood. Huh. What I'm curious, what level of moisture content were you dealing with there? You're in Maryland in a crawl space. What's acceptable? Well, anything under sixteen uh, percent. Uh, I know eighteen is the average for wood, um, but you know after you've used some drying, you kind of have to. I mean, I don't want to confuse psychometric with psychrometric, and <laughs> when it's portrayed, people don't understand the whole science behind drying. Uh, I'm talking about the end users that are just putting machines in. Right. Um, but. You kind of look at, uh, and when you're in a crawl space, everything's impacted. So where do you find a dry? Um, I range about 16% on the engineering wood as dry. And in that area, I was getting 11 and 12%, which is, you know, getting close to brittle. Well, that's good. I mean, we would, is that also called a micro lamb or the type of... Uh, micro lamb, I'm yeah, sorry. The, uh, Danny was just asking if that was the, also called a micro lamb. There's a couple different type of engineered, um, you know, engineered... It was closer to like an OSB oriented strand board okay. than, a, okay. than a micro lamb. Gotcha. Yeah, it was the heavy, thick. Uh, it did, oh, I see. Yeah, it did look like the laminated. Right, there would be uh, uh, 10 layers pretty much put together that when it's held vertically it's waves but when it's uh put in horizontally or upright you know uh it was very strong is it was that the system yeah this would be the horizontal it was a rancher um single level uh yeah okay because right. that's very difficult to dry it is mike did you do any sampling after I did do sampling in the upper level um, only because you now the the uh, homeowner was dealing with some uh, adverse health issues that his doctor had explained maybe due to environmental um, and what we've what we've discovered was that the home and due to this crawl space the environmental concern was humidity not so much microbial growth um we were getting elevated humidity in his in his home his HVAC system was located in the crawl space mm. um so the the regular home was sampled for cross contamination it was given a pre-sample to determine what the elevations were prior to uh and then a post uh, sample was collected after it was over to ensure because you're disturbing ducting and things like that to ensure that it wasn't uh, elevated at the end. 
and nothing had promoted that uh, promoted an issue in his home. Uh, did, so as did, far as you know, collecting, I mean, th- it would be difficult to collect surface samples with a dirt floor on a crawl space. Um, I know eventually they ended up putting. I don't know if you've ever heard of the clean space. Um, yes, yes. They ended up they ended up installing that in there in order to properly control the humidity, and then ha- ended up putting a sort of humidistat inside of the crawl space mm-hmm. to control the humidity levels um, that were promoting the mold. But I mean, the, visually there was no evidence of water damage, and visually there was no, no evidence of three-dimensional growth or staining. Cliff, anything more? No, I, I, I guess that was one of the, the, the differences in, you know, when we first did the, you know, the first Pittsburgh protocol in the church, what we did is we put down the uh, a working surface on the, on the dirt in, in the crawl space so that we could move equipment around and, you know, so that we wouldn't add moisture and so that, and, you know, there were just a, a lot of, advantages to you know putting down a work surface and it, it was you know similar to a roofing uh, material a rubberized roofing material and it worked it worked great and then you were able to leave that in place at the end oh no absolutely it was yep. left in place yep which is nice and it solved it solved the moisture problem so it was similar to the clean space type system. Uh, in this case, we just left it on the floor because the walls were stone, you know, for stone, you know, were stone foundation. Right. And um, you know, as far as dehumidification went in that crawl space, um, I don't know that it would be much of a concern uh, because they had a lot of st- that steam heating pipes that went through there. So I think it would be pretty dry under normal circumstances. But, you know, they ended up with a storage space. There were just a lot of benefits to it. Hmm. All right. Well, hey, I want to thank Mike Whitman for joining us, our man in the field perspective. Mike, uh, keep in touch. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Mike, what's the company name again? Environmental Solutions Incorporated. ESI for short. It's easier to spell. Environmental Solutions, Solutions. Incorporated. Cliff's got to get his block there, you know. All right. Well, let's go back. Let's get back for the second half of our interview um, with Danny. Danny, I, I'm just curious to... You've got our manual there. I'm, I'm just curious if there's anything that um, you feel like you want to get across to folks uh, with respect to some of these supervision techniques or uh, maybe health and safety issues that you feel are important to make sure that our, our uh, audience is aware of that um, maybe are overlooked at times or, or neglected at times. Well, I think uh, looking through the chapter, uh, one of the things that sticks out in my mind is uh, the general understanding of the general duty clause with respect to OSHA. You know, OSHA has a recommended procedure, all right, and we have other standards that are considered state of the heart. But one of the things that they do state, and correct me if I'm wrong, that under the general duty clause, uh, you need to be following a standard. You do not necessarily have to be following the OSHA standard, but while performing the war- work, you need to be following a standard. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they. You need to at least have a written plan. Yes. Right. Well, yes. when I when I talked to OSHA, it, it was kind of. 
uh, are you in violation of the general duty clause if you are not following a standard? Well, the way it is written, you do not have to follow the OSHA recommended procedures or standard. You need to be following another you know, you have to be following another standard. So, if you are not following a standard, then you may be breaking the general duty clause rule. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, and, the, the other key point I find in that chapter is that evaluation for health and safety issues prior to starting a project. And we, we actually have a form we put in the manual for that to make sure that people are aware of the fact that, you know, OSHA requires that. They don't. It's not an if, and, or a but. You will evaluate every job site prior, and you'll look at the, the, the list of items that they have in that regulation. It's not a, not a recommendation. It's a regulation. And you will determine how you're going to protect your employees from those various types of hazards on a project. I don't know if you have any comment on that. Right. Yeah. You d on a, a lot of times, I know when we're in classrooms, people are, uh, don't understand that at all. That when you go in, you do have to do a hazard assessment, and you have to do uh, an environmental assessment. I mean, you know, it, it comes under one of the common uh, worker uh, right. Uh, worker protection. Uh, worker well, actually, protection. It's, it's in the health. Uh, it's in the um, community right to know. Yeah, but there's also in the um, PPE section. You've got to, you've got to do an evaluation, but um, well, you have to know what is in there. To protect your workers. Exactly. That's exactly. that's the whole bottom line. And if you don't investigate it, if you aren't observant of it, if you don't document it, if you aren't uh, performing it to, uh, to the level that I think it needs to be, you know, especially for personal protective equipment, I like what, uh, going back to one of the things that Cliff said. Uh, when we're out there performing this kind of work, it's dangerous to the workers, yes. But it's when we do a bad job, who is impacted then? Uh, is it a child? Is it a student? Is it an elderly? Is it, it's going to be somebody that's going to have uh, uh, repercussions if we do not perform our job correctly. Yep. And that, that's one of the biggest things that I try and get, you know, having the right equipment, having uh, uh, the right attitude. And it is an attitude that we're doing this for a reason. And that reason is to protect other people that are involved. There's a lot of things we don't understand. I mean, I, I like what Tim was saying uh, down in the cross bay. I kind of got a little chuckle that there's different species. You, you know, you have slimy stuff. You have stuff that's not slimy. I, I mean, when you're on your back and you're slithering through, that brush on the end of a vac does not work. It does not work. Yep. And let me tell you, sometimes even a, a, a knife or a blade, that doesn't work. Yep. Uh, we tell people when they come into class, every job is different. And I, I mean this sincerely. And different to the point where everybody favors a certain product for cleaning. Well, I've gotten involved to the point where I don't know. I mean, I'm not a salesman. I don't promote anything. But we take three different products and test it. Yep. on cleaning on every project every surface and believe it or not it, sometimes it changes and i don't know why i i am not a chemist uh i'm also i'm never uh Dieter absolutely amazes me he could figure it out uh but at the same time i'm, I'm out in the field things are changing i gotta move rapidly 
And, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, we have to do, but that assessment is very important for protection of workers. Well, that is something we recommend in every class. And I want to get Cliff's opinion on this because we do recommend test patches and having several options available because not no one – I mean, there are general-purpose cleaners that work well on a lot of different surfaces. But – I've found times when I thought one cleaner was going to work better than another. When we did a test patch, we found that wasn't the case. Uh, Cliff, any comment on that? Uh, no, I, I think the comment is, is testing is good, um, and you know, from a number of reasons. I mean, you know, using three products may or may not, uh, you know, be a good idea. What I mean by that is, if you're using three products, they should be they should have some differences. You know, there are what are called neutral cleaners. There are high alkaline cleaners. There are acidic cleaners. So that, you know, I might want to have an, uh, an acidic product, perhaps a neutral product, and perhaps an alkaline product. So that, you know, different soils are going to respond differently to those types of products. Then certain situations, it's going to be really the concentration of those products. Yep. You know, how do you mix it? But a lot of times, the substrate's going to dictate uh, the substrate and the soil is going to dictate, uh, you know, the results. I think it's good to, to check a variety, and, you know, particularly in disaster restoration, firework. I was uh, a big advocate of carrying a test kit around, and we would use that to uh, actually demonstrate and sell the customer because, you know, we weren't sure exactly how we were going to do it, but when they actually saw the results and would see with a little test patch what things were going to look like, we really built a tremendous amount of credibility. And, you know, particularly if you're estimating against what we would call a suit, you know, someone dressed up in a coat and tie that really didn't want to get dirty, uh, uh, you know, we would get the job every time. I'm, I'm curious, Cliff, that we oftentimes talk about that using and we do mention using a variety of products but we'll also mention different um different ingredients so in other words a, a peroxide based cleaner versus a quat based cleaner versus a phenol based cleaner would that change also i guess the um and we've seen differences for instance we thought a peroxide was going to work on a project in particular i'm thinking of and it really caused more problems because it, it it caused the paint to fall off, and, and there was lead paint in a, in a lower layer, so it was a little too much. Um, why would you think that? Do you think that's another uh, variability variation that people should look at? Well, I think that, you know, you were talking about, um, I'm going to call it two and a half disinfect, two and a half types of antimicrobials. Okay, certainly quats are a type of antimicrobial. Certainly phenolics are a type of antimicrobial. And when you get to peroxide, it either is or it isn't, depending on the product label. Uh, and certainly peroxide is an antimicrobial, but a lot of times you can get around FIFRA by saying it's a cleaning product. Yeah. Um, you know when you use it. So uh, I would. I would still kind of go back to what, what I originally said. I would I would like to have something, you know, for instance, uh, a quad product could either be neutral or alkaline, depending on how it on what else was in it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, peroxide I would consider an, oftentimes an oxidizing type of product. Sure, and, you know, there are certain situations where an oxidizing product is going to work. There are certain types of situations where uh, it may not work as well. So I, I think and in certain situations, you may want to have some solvents as well. It really depends what the 
contaminant is that you're you know trying to remove from the substrate but it's pretty it, it's pretty easy and a lot of times uh you know the you know the uh you know the, the first rule of cleaning is you know if it went in with oil it's going to come out with oil mm-hmm. and if it went in with water it's going to come out with water so you know if that soil is waterborne uh you know using something like dry cleaning solvents or something like that to remove it, it's going to be unsuccessful and if it's oil borne then again you need something that has the ability to you know work like an oil in in terms of, in terms of removing it so i think you need to have some idea uh, what the, the makeup of the contaminant is. You know, is it soot or is it some sort of uh, microbial growth or, or slime? Sure. Or is it just you know you're just cleaning dirt? I mean, that's or are you just cleaning you know uh, loose soil? We right? get diffusers that are dirty, and it's you know people think it's mold. It's really not. It's just dirt that's been a part of the. You know, we've got a little bit of dirt on there, and <clears throat> there are good products. I mean, soap and water can work, you know, depending on, on the, the situation. Anyway, um, we're getting a little beyond time here, but what I wanted to do is, Danny, had a, a, I, I want to get you to comment on, in your experience anyway, the difference between, um, I don't know how to, I don't, I'm not sure how to phrase this, but we get, we have a lot of different industries out here we're talking about when we're talking about indoor environmental contracting, asbestos guys, lead guys, water damage guys, fire guys, um, we've got people that are doing meth lab cleanups. We've got people that are doing HVAC cleaning. We've got, um, and I, I know I left a few out. I wonder if you have any general comments on the uh, on the ability of people to switch between these positions. Uh, I oftentimes hear disaster restoration guys say, ah, the, the, the asbestos guys can't do mold. Now, I hear the asbestos guys say the same thing about the disaster restoration guys. It's like crazy. Any comments on that? Everybody says that about everybody, yeah, company yeah. to company, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, there, there are uh, engineering differences that I, I think a lot of people have to take into consideration, you know, with dealing with uh, uh, the multitude of problems that uh, mold presents. Uh, mold is a building science issue. Yeah. That's the one thing. It's a building science issue. Second thing is it is a living organism. That is something else that we have to deal uh, completely. I mean, you know, it's it's pre uh, its destiny is to survive. Uh, you know, so you have to take that in consideration. But uh, asbestos, uh, good incidents with that is and I, I have to go to classes too because I, I i teach classes but boy do i learn a lot from these classes yep. i i come away every class oh my i didn't you know i didn't know how much i didn't know <laughs> and, and you know everybody helps out but the asbestos guys they they know they or they should know very well how to set up containments yeah they they very much do uh, their abilities in that area uh shouldn't be challenged by too many people but, uh, you know, they still have a tendency to come in and, you know, they think that they can just kill it and, and scrub it and muscle it. Yeah. 
leave it alone and they forget completely about why was it there in the first place? What is the causation? What is this? What is that? Uh, you know, a lot of building sciences go into it. So they're still learning that side the hard way. You know, on the other side, lead, uh, lead people go in and they forget that that's a heavy particulate. It's going to fall on the horizontal surfaces. Cleaning is very, very important in lead, more than muscling it you know uh, you know using air machines etc etc not saying that you don't in certain instances but the emphasis is more on cleaning fine detail cleaning very fine detail cleaning and you know and then uh, the third is mold Uh, a lot of people are coming in this mold and what i'm finding is somewhat surprising from the disaster restoration groups that their job is to get it in the dumpster as quickly as possible get it dried get it clean but they're also the front line of things that we don't know what the heck's in there the microbials. Yep. I mean, good thing. People say, Danny, what's the first thing you do? Well, besides turn off the electric, I'm going to kill everything in that bucket. <laughs> you know, I'm going after it. I, I, my, wa- my wife has told me, Danny, what the heck are you doing in there? There's a million colony forming of XYZ. Uh, get the hell out of there. And I, okay, uh, kill it. But there are differences with them sciences. But it goes back into the Chapter 10. One of the things that we talk about in there is understanding everybody's responsibilities. I mean, you know, when is the project complete? Well, you should have an idea of what the finish line is and work your way backwards. You know, but you have to know the expectations of the client. You have to know the expectations of the project. You have to know the the personnel that are going to be reoccupying the building. What is their expectations? And then above all is you have a budget and you have to come in on time, come under budget, and do one hell of a job with everything you got. And that means utilizing your man hours properly. And an hour is 60 minutes, not 55. Yep. Okay. You utilize the man hours correctly. And, you know, and that takes, uh, that's where the project management and the supervisor comes into play. And it goes all the way back to... If your horses are fed and taken care of, push them buggers, man. Yep. Just keep on them. I know I fed you. <laughs> Damn it, you better keep working. You know, now if I didn't feed you, then I, I got to sit back. And that's being fair. Yep. And that's being consistent. And above all, I, I, I think just if you're looked at as being fair, whatever comes down the pike, most people sit back and say, well, yeah, I did it, or no, I didn't do it, or... I may not have liked it, but... I might not have liked hey, it. was fair. I'll tell you what, it's just like the military. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was always pointed in a direction. I may not have liked that direction I was heading, but I had to go there. <laughs> well, let's finish up with... Uh, let's get Dr. Wild back on, just to say hello, and see if he has any final thoughts. And before we do, Cliff, any final thoughts for Danny or questions? Yeah, I, I just... You know, I, I've got a couple... Uh, one is in terms of what you call the push. I'm wondering, you know, is that really, you know, the, you know, would you say that's like the tipping point or whatever the project, or not? That's definitely going to make or break it. Okay, uh, so that's, that's like what you tipping. mean, a tipping okay. point. Yeah, there's a point in that project where you got to get over that ridge. You got to. If you don't, uh, I can't see the finish line. Okay, gotcha. And, and I've seen. A lot of times when we've got to get more guys, work longer hours, whatever it takes to get to that, to get beyond that tipping point. 
And, like, and like I guess the second part of it, you know, when you do one of these projects, do you kind of like lay out, you know, what some people might call a critical path so that, you know, we have 10 days to do this. And, you know, at the end of day one, this is what we have to have done so that the people know, um, you know at the end of day two, this is what we have to get done. And, you know, if we don't meet these objectives, then, you know, we're going to end up with a push. Absolutely. Absolutely. I develop a timeline, a critical path. Uh, I try and follow it to the T. Uh, there's going to be variables. There's going to be things that occur on the project that will throw that out of balance. But you have to have a, a, a clear, distinct uh, timeline, a critical path you know, into every project. I see him communicate it to everybody, too. I've seen him put it up on the chalkboard in the school. Okay, here's what, you know, we're in a school, so we're doing work in a school. Hey, this is the critical path. This is where we need to be on this date, you know. And and, and, uh, dealing with schools and personnel in schools, I'm talking teachers, professors, and people like that, they're very smart individuals. Yeah. All right. I mean, if if you're fudging something, they, I mean, they might not be from West Virginia, but where I'm at, if it's, if it smells, it stinks, you know, so just get it up on the table and, you know, deal with it right away. And, yeah, I, 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 I disclose that to everybody I'm around. And that also, uh, when my demeanor changes, so does the project. I, I mean, they know we're in a critical path. Uh, we, you know, we're at a critical time. We have to get this done. Cliff, anything more? No, thanks. All right, let's go to the to Dr. Dietrich Weil. Dieter, anything you'd like to add before we go? Oh, absolutely. And I think Mike made a couple of uh, good comments on crawl spaces. And if I remember correctly, when I attended meetings, an attic is an upside-down crawl space. (laughs) And you hear everybody has a theory. I have a theory that a practical solution that makes sense to me. Today, we can measure very easily the uh, relative humidity and temperature outside. We can very easily do that inside. We don't need thousands of dollars. In fact, I have in my house, I'm looking at it right now. I bought a couple. I have to recalibrate those, and I don't know how to do that. One, two, three, four, five, and the barometric pressure. I have five gadgets in here that give me the relative humidity uh, uh, inside and outside uh, uh, around my house. I guarantee you there are many days when it behooves you to ventilate a crawl space or an attic, depending on those parameters. And again, we don't need thousands and thousands of dollars uh, uh, to do that. Now, I'm the first one to say that you do not vent um, a crawl space in the south, and there are many crawl spaces in the south, very few in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It doesn't matter. Yeah, if it's 110 degrees outside and 100% relative humidity and you're in your house and you have it at 70 uh, degrees over there and you bring in that moist air over there, well, it will condense all over the place. Condensation is water, water is mold. 
Um, Mike also said, you know, once in a while, I mean, it is a good idea to measure from time to time. I can look at the tire of my car and with kicking it and feeling it, and I said, ah, you know, this is certainly not flat, but, you know, it's okay, and most likely it will be. Would it behoove me to, to put a pressure gauge on there and measure it? I think so. So uh, sometimes measurement is a, is a good thing. Uh, also, Danny mentioned it. You know, if you are good at, 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 at lead abatement and the other one is good at mold abatement and the other one is good at fire abatement, that doesn't mean that they all know everything that the other guy knows. Take a good mechanic, a top-notch mechanic, one who knows two-stroke uh, internal combustion engine, engines, <laughs> excuse me, inside out. He is not very good. He is a damn good mechanic for cars and engines. He is not that good with four-stroke engines, which work a little bit differently. There are more parts in there and a lot of other things. I think, Danny, and I think that was one of my problems um, when uh, I was a manager, you got to set goals and the goals got to be understood. I think I was not good at that. I'm not a good manager. I'm the first one to admit that. <laughs> and uh, Cliff mentioned it. Yeah, uh, yeah you got it. <clears throat> People wrote books. Peter Drucker from Austria management by objectives you got to know the goals and the objectives that here it is and again i was apparently not very good at giving that information to the people who were reporting to me <laughs> and i i was uh, uh, i had a boss dick white probably one of the finest uh, managers i've ever met in my life he was just unbelievable he just couldn't do wrong. He pushed people to the limit, and everybody loved him. Yeah. But there were rewards. There was management by objectives. We knew when we were done. When we were done, we got rewarded. And I said, here is a case of beer. Let's quit right now. I buy you dinner or what have you. So there are a bunch of things in there that people are very, very good with. I'm not so good with it. And like Danny said, Danny has that, that natural... Uh, 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 attitude and, 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 and knowledge on how to, it's that here is a, a crew of guys. He can judge the crew by just looking at them. And I said, hey, this guy is a lousy one, this one is good, this one is good. If I give this one that job and that one that job, that is a fantastic gift if you have that. And you can uh, sort out the uh, objectives that you have and manage it, manage it, giving it to the right people who are happy with it. There are a couple of people who are happy with doing what they are doing. You want to promote them. They get all upset. Said, nope, I don't want to be a manager. I want to do this one over here. Said, but you're so good at it. I have to promote you. Well, you promote them into, uh, there are, <laughs> are words for that. You know, you get uh, uh, promoted to the level of incompetence. <laughs> and uh, so there are a bunch of very, very uh, uh, difficult uh, topics we touched on today. And some of them you can learn. I think so you can. The others, you got, yeah, you're born with it, which is fantastic. Some people can sing. 
and uh, some people can play uh, football and some people can play golf and um, others they try and try and try they they look the same they are not stupid but they never ever make it anyway that's about all i have to say and we are a little bit longer but we started a little bit late that's right dater well thanks again for joining us and i also want to thank danny uh danny i just know i can't sing special forces hunt <laughs> danny good job <laughs> of course the z-man cliff zlotnick thanks again cliff Always a pleasure. We'll touch base and uh, get. Hopefully, we'll get things set up for next week here. I know you've got a couple things on the line. I do too, Danny. Dater, just wanted to say, good to hear your voice. I really enjoyed it. Cliff. Good hearing you, uh, Danny. We got to get together sometime when you're not so busy feeding horses. Hey, we'll have to go for some pastries. <laughs> that's, all, that's right. We can go all the way to Germany. <laughs> oh, you got that right. You got that. That's where we should be studying a lot of these building sciences. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And Cliff, thank you. Hey. Well, my pleasure. Oh. Thank you, Danny. Gentlemen, um, great job as always. Uh, Jess at the controls, Jessica Lawson. We were going crazy here today, but we finally pulled it off. Uh, it was a little little touch and go to start with, but we pulled it off in the long run. Uh, we'll be back next Friday. And, of course, our growing group of loyal listeners. We I see a lot of people were in and out, unfortunately. I think they were having the same problem we were today. But you can download it and listen to it later. But please come back next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. Uh-huh.